movie of the year. The only podcast that has the science and the screaming to unequivocally figure out what the best movie is of any given year. I'm your host, Mike Gravano, and this season we're digging into 2001. This week specifically, we'll be talking about Richard Kelly's Donnie Darko. The panelists competing for my friendship and love and talking about Donnie Darko are winner of last week. I should start writing this down, Greg. <laughs> Ahoy hoy, it's me, Greg. I did win last week. I think no i won last week i feel confident about that yeah. yeah it was glorious i remember i was like yes awesome feels good pumped up take that darkness and the the mature competitor who definitely won't throw a fit that he didn't win every week that he feels he should win is ryan so everything i'm about to say does not count as a fit quote unquote but i will just say this <laughs> uh we had gotten the results of the election on that day. I know this is recorded ahead of time. I celebrated a little bit. Yeah. I had a glass and a half of champagne. I was a little drunk. I watched the movie better than Greg. <laughs> I did the podcast better than Greg. But Mike could not give me the award because we're a sober, we're a dry podcast. And he had to give it to Greg because Greg sounded less drunk. If you remember. Even though I did a way better say, job. Greg could articulate his points. And uh, Ryan, you were. Uh, fire the ball. Fuck yeah. If you remember, I decided live on air that Alfonso Cuarón was my favorite director, and that's the kind of thing that's definitely going to get you the victory. You're going to get a couple extra points yeah, on that. Like, that's enthusiasm right there. That's just human yeah. drama right there. <laughs> that really sells it. Which is, I'm here for that. Why, when I said McGee is my favorite director, I won the Charlie's Angels 2 full throttle episode. <laughs> yeah, you, you went full throttle. Nobody thought you could. You fully went full throttle there, Ryan. Uh, but we're not here to talk about Charlie Angel's Two Full Throttle or continue to talk about E2 Mama Tambien. We are here to talk about Donnie Darko. And gentlemen, just what, what's your general history with this film? I saw it in 01 and I was I think I was I was pretty like blown away by it. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was mm-hmm. very cool, especially the experience of watching it the first time. I was definitely enthralled i was very confused by what happened in it but i was like back then i was like very interested in pursuing what happened in the movie trying to figure it out and then i got about halfway through doing that and i was just like man this is dumb like why wasn't this stuff in the movie if you're supposed to if like you have to know this stuff to understand what's going on why wasn't it just in the movie and then it fell in my estimation over the years since then, I, w- I would say, like in my recollections, as of you it. just keep thinking about how dumb that is well, to that, not put very important things it in the bo- movie. It, it just it bothers me. Yeah, it's like I because the movie itself, I don't think plays out like um like you're not supposed to understand. It's not it's not Mulholland Drive. Like the movie acts like you are supposed to kind of be able to understand what's going on, and I just don't think that's true. I don't think that's really what. Yeah, I don't think that's true <laughs> from watching it. And Ryan. I, I'm going to try to be true and fair and honest tonight, but I, I think the sentence, it's not Mulholland Drive, <laughs> is going to just be like, and that's not fair to the movie, yeah. but like, it's good, like, we just watched that two weeks ago, <laughs> you know, and fuck, <clears throat> you know. Uh, I watched this movie when it first came out, and pr- not before the, the hype started, but like when it first started up, and uh, Unlike Greg, I had seen more than six movies at the time, so I was like, "Yeah, this is boring and stupid." I've I've seen this before, <laughs> uh, and since then, I have watched only the stock go up. And so this week, uh, I sort of was like, "All right, I'm I'm gonna get to know why." I watched the theatrical and the director's cut, Darn. and damn, I, I, I'm very impressive. And <laughs> I, I, 
there is so much to like. Yeah. I think that's where I landed is that there is so much to I like. I totally agree with that. But overall, and there's so much to like apart, like between the two movies, you know, like the, the theatrical cut explains nothing and it's real frustrating. <laughs> and then the director's cut explains everything and that's real frustrating. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so there's so much to like, uh, but overall, I would say that... If it, like just like real quick, Mike. Before we like dig into the movie, this is definitely the worst movie of the season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think of another movie that could fight for that, but it was. And it the, just I would say like I think there's two problems it, though. Halfway through it, I I feel like it, it's still pretty good. It's still up on its feet halfway through. Oh, if you split, if you watch this movie in two episodes, then I think that like you're gonna have crazy different yeah. reactions. I think that the first half yeah. is like. A really funny, really creative movie, and then the second half feels like it has to go back and explain everything. Right. The first half is what a great bizarro version of the Wonder Years we could have gotten. Uh-huh. Like I would watch that show every Sunday about this family for sure. Just in this small shit. It feels town. like the beginning of it is like you know, again, like some other movies. Like it, it's opening a bunch of doors and saying like it could be this, it could be this, it could be this, and that seems so fun. And it feels like the adventure you're going to go on is like how ultimately we don't really understand what's going on in our lives because it's hard to know what's going on. And then right around the halfway point, the movie's like, okay, no, but wait, something definitely is going on. And let's see if we can like either begin to explain it to you or pretend like that's what's <laughs> what has happened. Yeah, it leaves it the wrong kind of vague where like the more you dig in and like the movie never talks about alternate universes, but all the extra- <laughs> like extraneous materials and like the quote unquote real answer does and i'm like i didn't get any of that from the movie and now i'm madder at you that that's what you think it's about maker of this movie okay so that sort of brings me to my next point which is uh being in 2001 and watching mulholland drive two weeks ago is not fair to this movie and mike as a host i do not know why you plotted these movies out in this way but the other thing i i kept thinking about is the the first (laughs) the first season of movie of the year that we did was 1999 and this feels like a composite I watched every movie from 99, uh, The Matrix, American Beauty, Office Space, Fight Club, uh-huh. and then I wrote a script. And this and is what I the made, robot wrote. Yeah, yeah and, th- and then I made this movie, and some of the stuff it improves on, but a lot of the stuff it does not. But it still feels like I am two years from uh, 1999. What it's it like, now that's it what be, I call it, movies. Can, yeah. <laughs> Lady Gaga sings Toy Story 2. Right. Uh, what they didn't know is that they were they were going to have a uh, airplane engine drop out of the plane right after nine eleven. But they did know that they were going to be after ninety nine, and I really do think it shows. All of our confused about what the world actually means that ninety nine gave uh-huh. us is here now. Well, uh, we're already deeply talking about it in a way we normally don't in the intro so let's take a quick break and then dive right in to donnie dark hey guys thank you so much for listening so far and let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it that's my guarantee while i have you here let me tell you about a website it's called yourpopfilter.com and it's everything you need that's related to pop filter everything mike everything ryan everything greg everything cassie everything is there at yourpopfilter.com while you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way, we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer. 
which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show, that's Movie of the Year, and that's YourPopFilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! Writer-director Richard Kelly's feature film debut, Donnie Darko, was almost just a footnote in Jake Gyllenhaal's career. After debuting at sunset, it was nearly released straight to video. Because of the plane crash element, so close to 9-11, it was barely marketed at all. But despite its ignominious beginnings, Donnie Darko found a cult following that grew and grew. Something about the philosophical musings of time travel, dark 80s soundtrack, and the charming disaffected young Gyllenhaal grabbed the generation by the guts, going on to become number two on Empire's 50 Greatest Independent Films of All Time list. Taste buds, I ask you this. What do we think Richard Kelly is actually interested in? <laughs> yeah, at first I thought it was going to be like, the, that. what's really interesting is what is it like to be Donnie Darko and to be in that space of am I having a mental breakdown? Is something really going on? To be imprisoned by like what either feels like supernatural or just like sort of interstellar problems. Like I don't think you know. It, some of this kind of seems like it, it's almost like a, a space time phenomenon that's not supernatural so much as like uh, just the kind of things that we don't get exposed to normally here on Earth. But th- that being said, though, do you think it's like which Breakfast Club character are you, or are you Ferris or Cameron, or you know, like is this like is this uh, everybody's typical teenage thing brought to this extreme? Like, is that in his head at all? That's what I thought. You know, up until um, and being specifically being a troubled kid, I think like uh, which I, I think troubled kids kind of can stand for all of teens. But I think specifically it's supposed to be like the kind of kids that we were afraid of because in 99 we'd had Columbine. And so now suddenly we were starting to really get afraid of like loner kids. And that's kind of what what he is. Weird loner guy who seems to definitely be having, you know, mental issues. And what's interesting there is it's not a loner guy. And he has a shitty family, like not like American Beauty. That kid and his dad is a piece of shit. This is like a pretty solid family. Sure, they have some questionable politics, but as <laughs> normal, they're, they're they're a normal family, right? They're, yeah, I don't think they're egregiously bad. Average for sure. Yeah. No, but I yeah, and I I think that it's supposed to be like he's got more of like a what is a cultural rather than a family sickness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be this uh, look at this small town and how a normal small town like Pleasantville style. When there's somebody who's quote unquote like even more different than like Seth Rogen and the mullet kid, they're but then they're it feels normal like it, bad. But he's as weird. we talk, but like they purposely like they do not give you anybody else to right. relate to. Yeah. Like I dare you. Do you know who the mullet kid is? By yeah. the way, Mike, California. No way, really. That is the lead singer. Fantasy. of Phantom really? Planet. <laughs> I didn't know he was ever uh, tough looking. The only other person you can relate to is Jenna Malone. Like they, they purposely don't give like everybody else is so extreme and terrible, even Donnie's friends, that you really uh you you will fall down this funnel until Donnie is that that's it. That, that it's gotta be you or you're not gonna everybody relate. else sorry, Greg, keep seems going. like there's some sort of like caricature or something. But so at first the, the the movie feels like it's gonna lean on that really hard, and then as we talked about in the first segment, it just it feels like it kind of it doesn't have the desire to just have that be the final thing, like a waiting for Godot style. Like mm-hmm. instead it's like, you know what? No, hang on. Let's, let's start explaining it a little bit. And then you're left over with a lot of questions, especially if you watch the the theatrical release. But because of that big tonal shift, I don't know. It, it, it fails to really connect emotionally 
in the way that it felt like the first half of the movie was like setting you up to connect emotionally mm-hmm. to the character. Which is crazy to me because what I didn't remember from when I watched this in 2001 is that this is just a hangout movie. Yeah. Like this yeah. is this is close this is so much closer to a Richard Linklater movie than a Christopher Nolan movie. Everyone wants to say no it's Nolan because of dreams and what is what what is what mean, but it's not. Nolan yeah. puts a plot on the ground and fucking his, Yeah, his plots are fucking jet engines crashing through young kids like they're very quickly where this it, it really just is episodic and it's just like Donnie goes to class. Donnie goes on a date. It really is just like these little vignettes of uh, the disaffected teenager. And so what that means is that what you're saying is that like uh, I uh, God bless the balls on Linklater for thinking that he could do this time and time again with Slacker and Days uh-huh. and Confused and everybody wants some because it's hard. And at the halfway point of the movie, we realize that Richard Kelly does not have it. Like he he like the hangout gets old and then the explanations come in and I don't now I don't care about any part Does the of hangout this. get old or do you feel Kelly getting worried that it's getting old? Like were you getting bored with it's the hangouts? Co- I was I think that I was just about to get bored with the hang I mean we'll never know but my prediction is that like there was just enough right. hangout momentum to like fill an yeah. hour mm. and Kelly knew that this as well. Movie you know is never really deep. It's just like slightly deeper than you think it's going to be but you really do start to see the seams around like the third or fourth like long donnie darko monologue (laughs) you begin to feel like okay like now i'm kind of watching like the same scene over and over again which honestly was kind of like the point of the movie and that's kind of how it was developing i think it's portraying teenage life as this sort of like directionless cyclical not really doing much not really going anywhere and likening that to Donnie living that life and then deciding he has to like break out of it by sacrificing himself. But, but that reminds me of a theory, a uh, jarhead theory starring someone. Toby Maguire. Do you not remember who, who was that? <laughs> Toby Maguire. Whereas if the point of your movie is to show boredom, you will be bored. Yeah. And that is ultimately what we get. But I don't think that's the point of this movie. I don't think it's trying to be boring. It's got, well, I do think like, it thinks it's smarter than it's audience. I think, often. I think, uh, it's trying to show how uh, how smart and how dumb teenagers yeah. are at the same time. And th- it, it just keeps whiffing on both of I, those, mostly in the second half, whereas Linklater is so great. I didn't, I didn't think we were going to talk about uh, Linklater, but he's so great at showing the, uh, the depth of the lack of right. depth of these teenagers and college kids, but, and he, whereas we're not getting Even other hit. than like Ben Affleck, all of his characters in like Days and Confused get little arcs. Like you see their humanity in them, where this, like we said, is only interested in Donnie and Jenna Malone, and everybody else is fine with leaving surface. It's- yeah, see, I think, uh, like that's part of what is left open to interpretation if you don't take the director's let le- le- like later, like no wait, I have an explanation for everything that's going on. But it does seem like there's like sort of weird time cycles going on in this. And I felt like that was supposed to be analogous to teenage life that you're kind of stuck spinning your wheels and you have a ton of potential and you could change things, but you're kind of just stuck in the same old loop day after day. And it was like dealing with that. And I took that also that like the reason people are so strange in this movie is because they are kind of stuck in a weird time loop and they're, they're weirdly aware of it. And I get that from Jenna Malone waving to, um 
pr- the president from the deja vu the end. yeah <laughs> independence Day yeah president. and and because they're all so deeply deeply weird if you really think about it they all are like kind of shells of people and so then i got thinking like maybe it's because they're all stuck they're all kind of like replaying the same 28 days over and over and over again is do you think textually there's enough evidence for that argument that they're all doing that well, I think that uh, I think there are, are something is going on that's making the world extremely weird. I think the world is I think the world in this movie is weirder than just like isn't isn't life strange? I think that the people are even odder than that. I think that they're like you know, um like alternate dimension style mm. weird. And I t- I get the time loop thing from the from the old lady who's like constantly going in right, circles. Right, the mail. Um Christina Lloyd yeah, the what is a lady death, old lady death, or Grandma something like death. that. Grandma death, and just because of the fact that it does seem like, I mean, there is a time loop in it, right? Like Donnie Darko goes all the way back to the beginning, and then he dies, and that that's sort of like what ends it. So why it feels like what we're seeing is the very last time this time loop happens. But it feels like maybe like Groundhog Day or Palm Springs style, like maybe it's happened a bunch of times while they try mm. to figure out how to like, because it feels like what has to happen is Donnie Darko has to has to die, right? That That's what's going to, like, close the loop or whatever. Have you guys, in your guys' version, in the theatrical cut, did you guys get a big scene about Watership Down and Jenna Malone no. and Jake no. Gyllenhaal arguing about that? We got a okay, lot so about, like, Gyllenha- a, like, a metal container <laughs> traveling through space. Noah Wiley talking about yeah, it. Yeah, a lot of Noah Wiley. Yeah, a lot of Noah Wiley. So much Noah, man. But I, I, I like how his character changed. I appreciated Noah's arc. hey <laughs> Very good. The, in the scene with uh, about Watership Down, uh, uh, Donnie is like, I don't give a shit about rabbits, bro. <laughs> like, I don't care. They fucking die or they live. It doesn't matter. And then Jenna Malone's like, actually, it is the artist writing the story, and he's making you care. And so we absolutely do care, because that's how stories work. And then their teacher, Drew Barrymore, who we definitely have yep. to get to, uh, chimes in and goes right in the middle. Um that's what made me realize that this movie is about a tangential universe where uh, a lot of stuff happens in this tangential universe other than the main movie. That The main movie's universe we only see for like three seconds. The rest of it is all tangential and it's all these other characters that uh, I guess we don't care about or maybe we do. And then I started thinking, what does that remind you of? Like, What do you guys do where you watch somebody else's tangential universe and see what characters would do? D&D? It, it's just movies. Oh, yeah. It's literally like literally he is he is talking about movies and will you care about the things that happen in movies and then will you do it again and talk uh, uh, care about the people who are in a movie in a movie and that's where it starts to get interesting. That's where it's like, do I care about the bunnies of Watership Down? But and Frank's a bunny, but and then also Frank's a bunny. But he get I think that he gets so into himself about what it means to write a script and also so nervous about what it means to write a script that it all sort of crumbles. Especially when it's you know, like, not in the real release. Right, <laughs> With yeah, that. I mean, and, and like the whole argument, the reason we care about the bunnies of Watership Down and characters in movies is that they are fleshed out and feel real where, as we've yeah. said, a lot of the characters <laughs> in Donnie Darko do not. So it's, can you care about this thing that's not real? But not with you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it is sort of saying like, oh, here's the thing that I copied while you're filming the thing that you copied, mm-hmm. you know? Like, you're sort of saying, uh, I'm so nervous about, will you care about this thing that I'm giving you permission to not care about it? And that is what right. happens with this movie. Well. I think. 
Answer me that. We have to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to deep dive into Jake Gyllenhaal's career. Taste Buds, as we have so often this season, we're going to deep dive into Jake Gyllenhaal's career, because it turns out uh, this guy's been acting for a while, and maybe means something to some people, and we want to figure out what it is and unlock that. So before we go in, we're going to build the Rushmore of Jake Gyllenhaal, his foremost iconic roles from all of his eras. But before we dive in, I want to ask, uh, Ryan, what does Gyllenhaal mean to you? I think for a while, I wasn't a fan. And Ryan. I'm sorry. Hold on. on hold show? on. Hold, hold on. Let me explain. Mm. <laughs> I think that it's because of uh, the Princes of Persia's. And I am being a fuck ass, and I apologize. But uh, the sort of like, hey, generic brunette white guy, can you do this now? Um, mm-hmm. You know, and he was up for Spider-Man. And I feel like Spider-Man is such like a telltale thing of like, I don't know, who's who's the whitest white person that we have right now? <laughs> we'll have him play Peter Parker. Man, it's crazy to think of him as being up for Spider-Man because I don't think he reads as that at all. Maybe Spider-Man 3, Dark Tobey Maguire. Yeah. They shouldn't Maybe have had Tobey Maguire go emo. They should yeah. have filmed those scenes with Jake Gyllenhaal in the role. Is it is it because he's a little mysterious or a little mysterious? Oh, oh, hang on. There's just a, there's an edge to him where yeah, even if he is playing straight. There's like something unsettling. Like maybe it's his eyes go a little crazier. Maybe it's like his jaw is a little lupine. But well, there's something about him when he, if him and Toby were doing the same exact role line for line, I think they're both great actors. You'd just be like, I'm more unsettled by Jake, which makes me yeah. want to watch him. <laughs> there is nothing that Toby can do to like unsettle you, you know? And no. that, yeah. like, that's a, that's a benefit for Toby. But like Jake, I don't know if when he's being normal, he's unsettling. And when he was being unsettling, that like, that seems fine to me. And then over the last five years, he has just like rolled the dice and taken the most insane bullshit possible. <laughs> and now I think he's one of my favorites. Also, he was in the shadow of his sister, but only yeah. I knew that and the world didn't know that. And that pissed me off. <laughs> See, to me, he was in the shadow of his father, Stephen Gyllenhaal. Oh, I was Steve- like, this playwright, Stevie Gyll. Oh, my goodness. That's not a thing I just learned this week. Stevie Jills. Yeah, he's got like, he, he reminds me of like, um, and maybe it, it, this is informed by Donnie Darko, but he just always seemed like a troubled, you know, like a good looking kid, but troubled. And every movie he's in, even if that's not part of the character, you kind of feel like that edge come into mm-hmm. basically every character that, that he plays. But I think with a lot of these retrospectives that we do, like if we're rooting for you, if we uh, are hoping that your career goes longer, it's uh, can you be funny? even when the script doesn't give it to you. And now I definitely think that he is, there's some like, we'll talk about this Mike later on in the retrospective, Mm -hmm. but there's so many times where he is like, Oh fuck, this is the fucking funniest person in Hollywood right now. (laughs) Yes. Uh, he, he gives me a real, uh, drive Ryan from drive. Who's the most famous actor in the world. Whose last name is Gosling. Gosling. Thank you. Uh, that's our host, Greg, where they, they (laughs) cannot, uh, they cannot be a normal person. Like, it's just not, there's something about them that, yeah. that they will never, for good or ill, that, that it'll never be in there. Uh, it makes me want to see them together. Should well, we just dive right into this? That's Stevie Jills. Stevie Jills ain't going to raise no normal person. <laughs> that's true. Because he also raised Ryan Gosling, little known fact. <laughs> <laughs> Let's dive in and make the role. Remember, unlike normal Rushmore's, we can substitute and take out and mix and match as we go along. So the first era that's is That's how 19- normal Rushmore's work. No. 
Yeah. You can, no, they you, are not. You can move stuff out. No, you cannot. All right. I'm sorry. Give Greg a point. Yeah. <laughs> you already we know what my point. eyes look like. <laughs> if that is if that is something that you literally can do, nobody has done it forever. We we always put them in the maybe pile instead. Yeah. You can so. go suck a fuck. 1998 to 2002. We're skipping all his like little kid roles. City Slickers? Okay, we'll put in City Slickers. So 1992 to 2002, but only one City from 92. Slickers. So you have City Slickers, Homegrown, yeah. October Sky, Donnie Darko, Bubble Boy, Lovely and Amazing, The Good Girl, Highway, and Moonlight Mile. Whoa! Dang. That's a big group. Work much? Can we uh, slowly go through that again? Sure. We can do 1998 to 2000 first if you need to. Thank you. Plus City Slickers. City Slickers, Homegrown, October Sky, Donnie Darko, and Bubble Boy. I, all right. So October Sky was probably the first time. Yeah, I, I saw City Slickers, but I wasn't like, hey, Billy Crystal, Jack Palance, get out of the way. I need to hear this. Yeah. J- Jack Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. Bring up that kid again. Uh, but October Sky, I thought was like... That was a mediocre movie with an incredible lead performance. I think yeah, that's where we saw Rockets. it, right? Yeah. There's, yeah. That's the first time you're like, this other Tobey Maguire might be worth watching. <laughs> Dark Universe Tobey Maguire loves rockets. Also, hey, idiots. Hey, you fucking stupid idiots. Think about the letters for October Sky. Move them around in your head. Rocket Boys. It spells Rocket Boys, and that's Whoa. what they were. Yeah. Do it again. Right. Vanilla Sky. <laughs> it also spells Vanilla Sky. Right? So there you go. Whoa. 2001's Vanilla Sky. All right. Uh, so from this era, do you, are you suggesting we throw up October Sky? I am, but I am also saying that Bubble Boy was... Uh, that could have been the end. Like, right there. Like, that is was ended the other boy? actors. He, he was, was the, bubble, the boy. bubble Boy. And it's this isn't like a heart-wrenching, what is it like for this kid to live in a bubble? This was like a Tom Green-esque stupid comedy, yes? This was a jizz and piss film. No, you're oh, okay. classic jizz and piss. Uh, known, is it only known for how bad it is and the name? Like, it's brought up, but nobody's seen it ever. And I think Amy Smart was in it. So I believe I watched it because there was a time where I was stupid for Amy smart that's your love of butterfly effect for the same reason guys i'm Uh, trying here i we know but you're stupid donnie darko does does donnie darko get a thrown up on this mountain i think so right that there's nothing seems more iconic than double d here so we've thrown the sky and the dark especially for like at its time like maybe kind of but now it's huge and yeah. like the number one like think the role that people probably think of with him and made him a household name and he was like no i will not choose my name Hall. how do you spell it <laughs> no one knows <laughs> absolutely nobody knows it worked for maggie and everybody went who and you'll learn her later all right so the second half of who is this kid we have lovely and amazing the good girl highway and moonlight mile i'm going to say None of those need to be on Jake Gyllenhaal's Rushmore. <laughs> yeah, right? But The Good Girl is actually a great movie. This was Jennifer Aniston. Like, you know what? Maybe we don't be like... Maybe we don't do what like Matthew Perry is doing. Yeah. Like maybe being terrible Did Mike White rom-coms. write it or is he just in it? It sounds like he wrote it. I don't know. Uh, but uh, it, It's great. It's a legit good movie and he is legit good in it because he has to play the dum-dum and I don't think that he is. And he didn't like go... Like he played believably. <laughs> At no point did he say derpy, derpy, derp. <laughs> Herder. All right. Your next era is 2004 to 2007. We're calling it This Kid Can Act. But unfortunately, we're starting with The Day After Tomorrow, Brokeback Mountain, Oof. 
Proof, Jarhead, Zodiac, and Rendition. All right. Jesus Christ. Uh, I do feel like that uh, we are two years away from him being in Ocean's Eleven, right? Like, if he had... No, if he had busted a little bit earlier, then he would have been one of those stars. Yes. Yeah, like the kid. Day Day after tomorrow is like, okay, so now he's going to go after a blockbuster, but what's after that, Mike? Brokeback Mountain. Brokeback Which is, I think, when everybody like screeched to a halt and wait. We should probably watch Jake Gyllenhaal's career. Keep in mind, one of, this head would have a cowboy hat on it on the mountain. Okay, I know I don't know how much that goes into your thinking, but for me, that's big. And I he, also think there's a hand with some mountain spit in it. Yeah, he was what not an endearing image, huh? <laughs> he didn't get to do the Heath Ledger performance, which is just like put your tongue uh, in between your teeth and your lips, and just be like. <laughs> he was the like the trying to be straight guy who then had to go home hook up with Anne Hathaway and be like, no, I don't like your boobs. This was good. This was a good one. <laughs> this was a good one. Ang Lee directed, right? Yeah. 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 We also- at that time, we, he was like action movie guy. <laughs> he was famous. Like, you know Hulk. what? I'm just going to give you one of the most beautiful films of all time. Because <laughs> I do what I want. Uh, have either of you heard of or seen Proof or Rendition? I don't know what either of those Let's are cut there. those out of conversation and talk about Jarhead and Zodiac. That was the time where like, it was all about like uh, Bush's president and we're so nervous about what the new rules are going to be. And Gyllenhaal does this a couple times with new presidents. And renditions <laughs> like, uh, oh, shit, now rules are changed. But we can go to the other ones. Uh, when do you think Gyllenhaal is going to get a chance to weigh in on Joe Biden? When are we going to get his take on what's going on with the Biden administration? Well, he's got five films uh, in pre-production, so I'm sure one of them will be. (laughs) I love when you have to host the show, and then you just become a a expert on this one person's (laughs) movies. Like I I know, by the way, creepily aware of what his day-to-day life is right now. (laughs) Five future movies. Uh, I'm sorry, Mike. It's Zodiac and what? Jarhead. As you talked about earlier, it's boring. I'm putting Brokeback on the mountain. Yeah. Yes. And then we have to talk about Zodiac because this is a movie whose stock is screaming red hot. I mean, yeah. best stock says best movie of the last 10 years. And it came out 13 years ago. So that's, so that's pretty, pretty impressive. Uh, <laughs> but it's a three-hander, right? It's uh, Downey Jr. and Ruffalo. Oh, mm-hmm. I was going to say Downey Jr. and Drew The Carey Zodiac Brother. Killer. <laughs> and he is awesome in it. Yes. But I don't know if it's one of his most iconics. But see, I think it's like it's getting there, though. But yeah, but I mean, just having put Brokeback on the mountain, I guess that does. Well, how about this? We have a spot left. We'll put Zodiac on. We'll take it off if we need to. But that's all right. Let's yeah, uh, let's let's get Jarhead the fuck out of the conversation because it's a fucking terrible movie by Sam fucking Mendes. I think the guy who made American Beauty, the the worst movie we've ever done on movie of the year. How about that shit? Let's get Jarhead the fuck out of here. Let's yeah, get let's it punt that the fuck. Out. I do feel like Zodiac does what Donnie Darko almost did, which is put you in a universe where you're not going to get any answers and you just have to deal with questions. Mm-hmm. And Zodiac is a really good, because nobody knows the answer, and the movie doesn't really like take any swings at, at who it is, although there are creepy scenes and everything. But Zodiac but, did um, it, and Donnie Darko looked it up and heard it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> that seems Years like a good idea. Before. It looked it up before. Uh, that is all the time we have right now, but don't worry. We will return to Jake Gyllenhaal's career. So who's on the mountain right now, Ryan? Right now we have October Sky, Donnie Darko, Brokeback, and Zodiac. I would say a solid 50% of those are going to stay. 
Yeah. We'll see. You got two. All right. When we come back, more Donnie Darko talk. Hola, Felterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, you could pay for Ryan to draw you a picture. Uh, I can write you a poem. You can get the shirts off our very own backs. All of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. While you're on the internet, you should check out Shady Monk. He does all the tunes you've been listening to. He's on Bandcamp. He's on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, wherever kids get their music these days that I'm too old to know. Shady Monk lives there. Uh, You can probably follow him on Twitter and Instagram as well. That's Shady Monk. Wherever you get music, check him out. Taste Buds, I have to ask, we touched on this a little bit. Uh, Donnie Darko existing as a, a teenage film. Do Kelly and Gyllenhaal bring the truth when it comes to the inner and outer life of teenagers. <laughs> I, okay. So this is a complicated question and I'm going to answer it by talking about all the time, ta- all the different times in my life that I've read catcher in the rye, where you go from, uh, this, this, this main character is such a fucking clever badass, And then eventually <laughs> you read it and like, Oh, this book is making fun of what a fucking idiot this person is. I think, and like he was 26 when he directed it, and 23 when he wrote it, and to me, that's basically a teenager at this point. Yeah. But <laughs> he is. There is no like. There's so much satire right. going on in the movie, but uh, not about Donnie and his thoughts. And I re- like teenagers connect to this movie because it's what is going on through their head right now. But there is no like looking, like taking a step back and looking at what teenagers think. I think it's supposed to be like teenagers. You're right all the time. And I'm not sure that's what teenagers should be watching. Yeah. The satire is like, look at the mom, the dance mom of yeah. sparkle motion. Look how absurd she is. At no yeah. point is it. Donnie's also short of Donnie is absurd. Donnie and is absurd. And he thinks that everything he says is like the first time anyone has ever thought that, which is being a teenager and more specifically <laughs> being a high teenager. But Richard <laughs> Kelly cannot take a step back and be like, well, you know, maybe Donnie doesn't have all the answers either. Also, there's not like, uh, to me, there's not enough centrality to Donnie. It, it seems like he shifts to be whatever the movie needs him to be to make a comment on like that aspect of teenage life at that moment. So, you know, we see him as like the, sometimes he seems not really troubled. Other times he seems deeply troubled. Sometimes he seems like a philosopher. Other times he seems petulant. And then in that same vein, like every time we see an adult, it's basically from Donnie's view. So they're basically parodies of adults. You know, I mean, there's so one note that like that informed my understanding of what was going on in the universe of that movie. Like there must be, some explanation for why Drew Barrymore's character is like that. Like Drew Barrymore saying, pick the boy, sit next to the boy that you have the biggest crush on. Or just in the beginning of the movie, the mom's like, uh, oh, my children are all terrible. I will drink another uh, glass of wine. It feels like it was written by a 14-year-old child. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but honestly, what is going on with with Drew Barrymore's character It like and Noah Wiley's character? Are they... Are they supposed to be more than just teachers? Are they like... Well, they're fucking, for sure. Yeah, they're definitely yeah. Well, they're in bed together at one point. But remember there's a part where the two of them are sitting 
and she looks at him and goes, Donnie Darko. And then he, and then Noah Wiley kind of like laughs and they share like a knowing what's right. I think, I think she's supposed to be reading an essay Donnie wrote. Oh, okay. And she's like, like grading. They're like grading next to each other. Okay. See, I didn't get that. All I thought was like, all students are terrible. They're all fucking morons. <laughs> but double D's. God damn, he's handsome and he's smart, and I love having him in my Let's class. Bring him as a third in this. <laughs> Do you want us to both think about him while we have sex during third period? Absolutely. <laughs> do Do you think then the because a big part of who Donnie is is mental illness? Do you think like the philosophical wackiness gets in the way of telling a grounded, good story of what it's like to live mentally ill? Yes. I, yeah, I, I, I feel like it, 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 it by wanting to have it both ways, you have it neither way you know you can't have you can't have it be like okay so this scene what it is is we're talking about how mental illness isolates you and then and then the next scene just be like here's just goofing on donnie being a weirdo it maybe like <laughs> it maybe sort of appreciate breakfast club more you know like from the last season because they also st- they all five of them stepped on their soapboxes and they gave these speeches and when we reviewed breakfast club we were talking about how like all right middle-aged white man wrote all this shit but now I sort of look at it as like, but those are as stupid as kids would do. Kids would think that these are important, but they're uh-huh. not. A- at one point, if they wa- if, if if those characters watch the movie The Breakfast Club, they'd be like, "What was I thinking?" Whereas this feels like, do- like it's almost Kevin Smithian, and it's like, God damn that! Look at him go. He's so smart, and he's here just to teach people how to fucking be. I was thinking that this movie has seen Reservoir Dogs because it really feels like the pop culture speeches that are in Reservoir Dogs. Like, okay, here comes. Now I'm going to like tell you everything that you never knew about Smurfs. And it's hard for us to be like, hey, guys, let's watch Donnie Darko and then talk for two hours about how smart we are when we watch <laughs> Donnie Darko. But still, if if anybody brings up anything, it is, uh, it's, it's like a time for characters in this movie to be like, Oh, here we go. Here's how I think about all of life. And there's no tongue in cheek. There's no irony. It's just like, look at all of the great speeches Richard Kelly can write. It's interesting because uh, Donnie's two friends are some of the dumbest characters in the entire thing. And evil. When, like, and they, oh yeah, they're they're just as bad as Seth and Mullet. They and, how <laughs> evil Seth and Mullet. And well, they they do give the words of wisdom that keg beer is for pussies. So yeah, I didn't know that, that until this movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, Mike was. That's why Mike was always screaming boxed wine at every party that we went to. Because <laughs> not for pussies. Uh, when he's going off his Smurf thing, if they hadn't been such fuck ups the entire movie, they're rolling their eyes at him at first. Could have been the movie pointing out that Donnie can also be absurd, but because they are the villains, instead it's just like, well, the idiots don't even get it. So of course Donnie's <laughs> awesome. But I mean, I mean, they say like, damn, Donnie. God, we're just trying to hang out, and everything you say is so smart. Why is everything you say so, so smart? All we're trying to do is drink beers on a couch and talk about cartoons and fucking verbally berate every chubby Asian chick we see. Why do you have to bring this to such a fucking intelligent level? With that, is he? He's nice to her a couple times in the movie, but he's not like a. He's not really nice. He doesn't stop it. He's just like, hey, you're, you're be quiet, guys. Consider is it just not to show bullying that he's, her. Is he? Is it just to show he's better than them? I think it's, he's not. I, I think it's you know. I think we see him evolve 
morally over the the course of the movie and part of what we see is that he goes from i'm not going to actively harm people but i also won't go out of my way to save them all the way to i will actively go out of my way not only to save them but i will sacrifice myself like the true jim cunningham would yeah i think the real jc in the movie Throughout the entire movie, uh, I think that he is just so into Donnie's shit that like he doesn't even notice how they're treating this person. So if he says, "Hey, stop bullying her," it's like it's barely an afterthought, right. uh, which then makes her fall in love with him. Which yeah, is, that's that's how high school works. But uh, he like he all he's thinking about is my my thoughts, my my bunny, my dreams, my whatever. Mm-hmm. That like he he can't even like. Uh, see how awful his two best friends are treating other people yeah i mean if the if the movie if the movie sometimes feels like it's a universe just for donnie darko in part that is very much donnie darko's experience of it so she is not a three-dimensional person she is only either someone being bullied someone that needs to be rescued someone that Mm -hmm. needs to be like you know uh given like a little pat on the head to occasionally but not her own you know three-dimensional person Let's go through this right now, real quick, because uh, of the the director's cut. Um, so we talked about storytelling before and Watership Down, but basically everything that we're watching is this tangential universe that uh, every single person in the tangential universe is pushing Donnie towards his goal. So everything that is said and done does that, and that's why I think it's like a play on screenplays, but also that's why. Uh, you have to you have to flood the high school so you can walk with Jenna Malone so that you guys can become girlfriends so that you can save that and what that does is sort of like take away the excuse of like this feels contrived this feels boring that that is why all of these people do these things that are not human that do seem weird because they're all trying to get him to the one place like how all movies work but yeah. also how all teenagers think all teenagers <laughs> think that like oh what are you? You're in my movie. You're in the movie that is all about me, and I guess you're doing something to convince me to go over here. Yeah, my favorite teacher in high school retired after my senior year, and I said, that makes sense because I'm not here anymore, so why would you have to be? <laughs> <laughs> that is teenage as fuck. Uh, to, we connected this a little. So time travel and man bunnies aside, is, is Donnie Darko, we said it's a composite of 1999 specifically, but is it just a way better American Beauty did it lift off the right things? I think that when the movie is the most successful, it's when it's Richard Kelly sort of uh, talking shit and jerking off on suburbia in a in I think a way more interesting way than Alan Ball and Sam Mendes did with American Beauty. I think that's I w- when I think when it gets to time traveling, I think that's when the movie falters. I think when it's mm-hmm. uh, the the commentary, I think that's when it's the best. I think that yeah, its view of like the suburbs as in point in fact as weird as if they are an alternate dimension yes. is a good one but i think when this when he's at his best is when he is making music videos this is a movie <laughs> that so badly wants to just be a series of music videos and it's really good when when he's doing it and i think he helped breathe new life into like a lot of these songs but also when we watch when we watch the movie that makes no sense and then the director's <laughs> cut which makes a little more sense but it's kind of boring and then when we think about southland tales which was a 3 hour movie that makes no sense this is just sort of his jam, right? Like he 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 understands how music works and he understands how non-dialogue storytelling works. And when he puts a song on, he can do so much good in storytelling. Uh-huh. And when that song is not on, he he just doesn't really know what to do. 
Do you think it sh- maybe he should be director, not writer? Would that be able to lift him up? Honestly, that I, I hadn't thought of it, but that I think that might be something because I feel like he's able to he's right. able to create he's able to create the emotional space that he wants through music and and image. It's just I think when it comes right down to it, he's not sure what he wants to say and if he wants to say something and how far he wants to go to saying it. And, and if how, somebody else made those calls, that might help him a lot. And if some it, like if he's paying homage to something else or yeah. if it's too much and if he's Or just am stealing, I ripping it off? Yeah. <laughs> like you see all that in the music. And you see that I think in the first hour. Again, we've talked about how the first hour is much better than the second, but in the first hour when Donnie's riding home and we see the dad, like, sort of, like, uh, yeah. spraying Maggie Gyllenhaal, you know? And, like, we're just getting to know this house in suburbia. Uh, that song, I don't remember what it is. I think it's in a Killing time. Killing time. And yeah. also, it, it's different for both of us. They switched it for the director's cut. Oh, come on. But in the director's version, do they still play Notorious when the little girls dance? Yes, Notorious. they do. Notorious. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But was I hope <laughs> with no Biggie Smalls, which is weird. <laughs> uh, but then when we get to the and I thought that was perfect like that was a perfect yeah. musical montage when they get sure, to the yeah. school it's twice as long as it needs to be like when when they go to Cheers for Fears head over heels now we're seeing way too much and he just loses control of it he just gets all up that, in his business we go down the hallway and you're like okay school montage and then it turns and you're like a different school now a different part of the school you're like why why is this going like it literally <laughs> ends and then just keeps going and you're like and now we're focusing on drew barrymore is she a character i should actually care about <laughs> and it sets you up like you should but no <laughs> uh, <laughs> that would be a mistake we have to take a break uh before we go i did want to i've run into a problem and Greg, maybe like you're you're like sure. the tech guy at the pop filter team. You just uh, want to do I, this r- during the show. Yeah, I think it's like a teachable moment to show that like even though we're great at making podcasts and stuff, mm. that we can be fail. Like Drew can Barrymore be fail. would do because she's a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cellar door. Uh, yeah. So I've been. I, I want to make a website, and cool. uh, I've drawn it up on my whiteboard. Uh huh. And I don't know what to do there after that. Uh yeah, I think you just like you get a a hosting website and then you just you code it and you just put it in there and you just you get get it right up on the old internet. The <laughs> inter- what do you mean there? <laughs> okay, so I you guys know how I love when you bond and I hate to interrupt when the two of you are hanging out. That's so uh, ironic because you are literally interrupting this very moment. Yeah, I don't. But I mean, I said that I hate it, and you can feel my it. hatred. Um, <laughs> but I, I do. We that. can feel your hatred for sure. <laughs> I do have to say that you guys are fucking dumber than dog shit, and I think that there is an answer for you. Uh, I think that both of you, if you guys could just try Cybersprout, that could solve all of your problems. Cybersprout? What's that? Well, <laughs> Greg, Cybersprout is your partner for the digital world. Um, let me ask you this, Greg. Wait, they're Greg's partner, and he didn't suggest that? He told me I should learn how to code? Greg, you should have just pitched your partner to me. Oh, stupid dumbass. They're your partner as well. <laughs> what? Yeah, and they're my partner. That's why I didn't even think to do it, Mike, stupid dumbass. And they could be anybody's partner. Don't because use name. Uh, if you're the kind of person... <laughs> <laughs> Mike, stupid dumbass. If you're the kind of person who uh, says, I want a website, I'm going to draw something on a dry erase board and then put it in my floppy disk drive, that's actually not how it works, guys. Oh. Well, how does it work then, Ryan? Well, I mean, Greg, you wouldn't pay for a house without receiving the keys to the door. So why would you expect anything different from your website provider? 
Cybersprout provides tools and training that make managing and tweaking your business websites a breeze. So if you have a dry erase board or like a door with a key and uh-huh. you think those, those are websites, they're not. You actually have oh. to you have to you have to call Cybersprout and they will so figure give that me shit the key out. To unlock my website? From easy to edit fields, custom templates and drag and drop tools, you have the power to keep your site current. And drag and drops. What are drag and drops? Easy. Okay, hold on. I do have to because Greg is one of those people. Drag space uh-huh. and space uh-huh. drops. We're uh-huh. not talking about right, dragons okay. pooping. If that's what okay. you thought. I, yes. I thought it definitely was like a giant flying dragon. <laughs> All right, so you guys are the type of people who, when somebody says super salad, you were like, "Yes, I would love a salad with a caper around every it. I would like single a super, time." Yeah. And I it's just always have like a massive salad every yeah, single time with right? the goat cheese in it. No, it's actually a question: soup <clears throat> or <clears throat> salad? Drag fucking soup and drops. You will have the power to keep I'll your site drops. current. And if you need help, Cyber Sprout is always available for you too. And you guys seem like you need so much help. Thank you. Yeah. We we do need help. Uh, how did they so? What's the best way? Do we just go to like cybersprout.net? Is that how they would help us? Just write this on your dry erase board. Cybersprout. <laughs> Put that in your floppiness drive. No, definitely go to cybersprout.net. And I, I cannot believe the prices. They uh, will work with you. They are affordable. And they will make whatever your stupid idiot idea is into a magical dream of drag and drops. Okay. I definitely know what my next website's going to be about. Just fat piles of drag and drops. Thanks, <laughs> Cybersprout. That's what you asked for, Cypress Prout. Bye. <laughs> Taste Buds, it is time to keep our deep dive into Hall's career going. The next era is 2009 to 2013. And I'll slow down, given the notes that were given on air. <laughs> to slow the down. version of this. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, don't you, is that your favorite, is on air notes? I love on air. That way the audience can see if you're following the notes or not and weigh in. Again, teachable moment (laughs) is uh, what we always want to do here. So from 2009 to 2013, it's normal movie star, Jake Gyllenhaal. So the first half is Brothers, Prince of Persia, Love and Other Drugs, and Source Code. All right. Prince of Persia. Hmm. Is Jake Gyllenhaal, like, did he just accidentally fall prey to the fact that we don't have movie stars anymore or is he partly responsible for the fact that like oh this is our movie stars well then we don't have movie stars anymore i i don't i don't want to put this at jake's feet <laughs> i don't want to do that to him uh i think he's too weird and brad pitt's weird but he can still pull off more movie star stuff uh i like we talked about in the first and the, i'll say we're all big fans of him but that unsettling Part of him means he can never just be a normal dude in a movie or a hero like in Prince of Persia. Yeah. And he's not the reason that movie's garbage. But it's this is the era where they were trying to pitch him. It was wrong guy, wrong place. Yeah, you gotta time. you gotta say no with the kind of like uh precision that you say yes with. You know, you gotta know <laughs> like when they come at you with the Prince of Persia, you have to be like, Okay, no for two reasons. One, I don't think I can be this type of leading man, and two I'm not Persian, right, guys? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's always a part. Definitely brought up that. <laughs> and that's the other thing too is that like uh, he was thinking like uh, Brendan Fraser and the Mummy. And I would say mm-hmm. to everyone who is ever about to take a role in any Hollywood movie ever, you're not Brendan Fraser. You ain't the Mummy. Brendan Fraser, all right? 
I say I wake up every you're morning. You're not tossed salad. To you're hey, not scrambled eggs, okay? Fraser has left the building. <laughs> hey Tom Cruise. You wanna be Jack Reacher? Sorry, you're not Brandon Fraser in the mummy. Hey Tom Cruise, you wanna be in the mummy? Sorry, you're not Brandon Fraser in the mummy. <laughs> you're just the most boring version of Tom Cruise in the mummy. So brothers, I cannot even remember. I know is that, that they, is this a boxing movie? No. Brothers is the one where they can't shake hands. They've got a hug, right? Is this with him and Toby? No, that was with uh, one was Niles and the other I can't remember the other's name. And Frazier? they, I I don't I don't remember Greg, and you can't make me remember Bulldog. <laughs> I think it was Bulldog, Roz? and they had to live in Seattle with Roz Maris. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the last two then from this this chunk of this era is Love and Other Drugs and Source Code, two movies I actually really fucking like. All right, so. Love and Other Drugs is an interesting one because we were like, Jake Gyllenhaal, Anne Hathaway, this will be a super hit. No, no one gives a shit. No one's going to go see your stupid movie. I will. I have said and will continue to say that Love and Other Drugs is the movie people think Silver Linings Playbook is. That movie, <laughs> Silver Linings, sucked and was uninteresting. And Love and Other Drugs is, is this not as stupid Hollywood bullshit. Did this come out right around the time that everyone decided at the same exact moment they hated Anne Hathaway? It, it felt like there was just one day. Like you Hold went on, to- shut up, Greg, shut up, shut up. Is okay. this the second movie that we've talked about where Jake Gyllenhaal looks at Anne Hathaway's boobs? I think that it <laughs> <Yeah>. is. <laughs> Sorry, Greg, go ahead. Sometimes that's why you got to make your career. Is What's the likelihood? Hey, let me ask you this before I take this role. <laughs> Am I going to see any boobs? <laughs> but then an- Source Code, I think, was uh, somewhere between Donnie Darko and... Uh, Prince of Persia, where like it was a little bit of a cult hit, it was a little bit of an actual hit, and I think that he was responsible. Like he he was yeah he was running through a Hollywood movie, and we all sort of like to watch him run through things. And that's this is the it's just so even after I said it because I really like this one. It's him and Michelle Monaghan, right? He just keeps going on the same train and it keeps blowing up. Mm-hmm. I hate that. Yeah, I hate when that happens. It, was, <laughs> it is awesome. Also, Michelle Monaghan. At some point, our movie podcast should talk about her. Oh, Hall of Famer. She's dope. Hall, Hall of Famer, for right? Sure. Mission Impossible, uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Why is she not a star? Uh, True Detective. Um, but yeah, Source Code. Uh, also, it's uh, sort of before we got um, that other Tom Cruise movie. It's a little bit of an action Groundhog Day. Pete. Yeah, so that, that's all we want in movies is just be Groundhog Day. So do any of these, though, still no. belong on that Rushmore? Are we moving right I on? I say no. I don't think so. All you right. got to say no. The, the, the back half of his... Can I be a normal movie star era? Is End of Watch, Prisoners, and Enemy. Okay, so I've seen Prisoners, and he's definitely what is good about him in that movie. He's Detective Loki, uh, and he's definitely like sort of like a creepy guy with an edge, and they never go into exactly why he's so creepy and has such an edge. And I think that really works for the movie. I think he is one of the good parts of Prisoners. And the thing about prisoners, and I'm not, I'm not just channeling former uh, host of superhero show show Taylor right now. I, <laughs> I, I'm gonna is I love prisoners because I saw Denis Villeneuve as a great director long before anybody else did. <laughs> that's that's really the only uh, reason that prisoners is memorable. I've never seen it. It's not really talked about that much anymore. Well, talking about your Jake Gyllenhaal will always make a movie to come on on our president. This is uh, Bush and just the sheer let's embrace torture. Because maybe torture can lend goodness. Yeah, this is the t- interrogating that. This is the torture movie. Like maybe we can torture things into knowability. 
Also, it's a perfect <laughs> end of stars thing. It's uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Hugh Jackman, and we're like, this will uh-huh. this will be great. And then it wasn't, and then we're like, uh, there's no more stars. That should have been there's no. That should have been a huge blockbuster. The other one is End of Watch, which I think does have is still talked about a lot. Like, there's a lot of people who like it. I'm just not sure I like the people who talk about it. Yep. This is uh, David Ayer, the guy who went on to make Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. Um, and this is a movie where, like, cops are fucking fun, guys. Uh, when they're in their car, they're having fun. When they're beating on fucking uh, people of color, they're having fun. It's just a fucking, it's just a romp. It's just a good old time. Yeah. I don't think it's exactly the same, but the kind of people who like get Boondock Saints tattoos also really seem to want to tell you how good End of Watch is. <laughs> Uh, End of Watch starred Michael Pena. Can we do a Michael Pena career retrospective yes. at some point? I, I would love that too. That guy should be in the that Pot guy. Filter Hall of Fame. Yeah, right? for sure. He's so good. All right. So nothing from yeah, I Jake say move Gyllenhaal, on. normal movie star, yeah. is on the mountain. So uh, in this era, it's 2014 to 2016. It's I, I could be the indie superstar though, right? <laughs> uh, is Nightcrawler, Accidental Love, Southpaw, Everest, Demolition, and Nocturnal Animals. All right, Nightcrawler so, is the real standout of those. Like, and, hell yeah, it is. And Nocturnal Animals was the uh, the follow up to a uh, what was that? A handsome man, the guy uh, Tom. Help me out, guys here. A serious man. A serious, but Tom Ford's movie. It did not go as well as the uh, his one before that. So right now, Nightcrawler is the one that's standing out. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. So, Nightcrawler, I think, was that. The, the the way that he's still riding of people like, wait, no, Jake Gyllenhaal, Nightcrawler is what did that. Also, I can't remember that. I can't believe it was so long Double ago. down on the creepiness is what this is. Southpaw was supposed to be like his Raging Bull, his Rocky, and nothing. Like literally nothing. The, the problem with that is it was written with Eminem in mind to play the lead. So I don't think you're going to get anybody's <laughs> Raging Bull Rocky with that. When you say Eminem, do you mean Marshall Mathers or like those cute candies that were in like fake movie trailers? The yellow one. The yellow. Yeah, the yeah, yellow, yellow one. It's got to be yellow, right? Oh, I think I can take him. Don't throw in the towel. I just always sound like this. Something's, com- it is- something's coming off the mountain for Nightcrawler. That's what I say. What, yeah, what's what was the last one to be put on there? The way that he could be blue and with a like a fencing sword and jump around from mm-hmm. scene to scene. Uh, we have October Sky, Donnie Darko, Brokeback, and Zodiac. I think Zodiac because it's not a lead. It's not a lead. It's not what people like. Oh yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal in that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, that's a good call. And also, this shouldn't be a Rushmore, right? It's a Gyllenhaal of Fame. Is that what we should call it? Yes. That's what it's called for sure. You get right. that. You, you and your damn special brain. All right, the final era, 2017 to 2019, because he hasn't done anything in 2020 yet. Lazy Bones uh, Jones, jeez. Lazy Bones. So we'll do it in, in, in two chunks here. Uh, the first half is, uh, and this is the balance, the balance between fame and I want to make weird, quirky Jake Hall's type things. Akja, Stronger, and Wildlife. Stronger was the other one, just like... Uh, what was it, Southpaw, where it was like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to get a goddamn Academy Award. And then no one saw it. <laughs> That's the Boston Marathon movie, right? Uh, yeah. And then he got in- injured and then had to... Uh, I think, and this happens to a lot of actors, but I think that Prince of Persia did so much damage that he took two routes. Uh, one, I'm going to get that fucking Oscar, and that did <laughs> not go well. Or I'm going to be a fucking idiot goofball. Mm-hmm. And those are the only two options. Like, I think he's done until like we get to Marvel movies, but like I don't want to be Tom Cruise anymore. 
And I think right. that is yeah. the best decision he could have made. I don't want to, when thinking about what my next project is going to be, I don't want to think, like, how am I watering down my brand or how am I going to make sure that I don't take even a lateral movement, only a movement that makes me more of a star? Because there's things coming up that he could not have done if he were Tom Cruise because it would just, his cachet would would ruin it. And I think it's actually two reasons. One, uh, Prince of Persia, and two, and we could just say this now because you can't prove me wrong, working with Heath Ledger. I think working uh-huh. with Heath Ledger he was like fuck dude okay i want to do i want to do that yeah but I, and i think i think night is so prince of persia is the punch down i think nightcrawler is the punch up because i don't think tom cruise could do nightcrawler and still be that kind of tom cruise he is it's it's no, not no, the not. oscar kind of bait Look at me, I'm being bad. It's a truly despicable character to hang out. Yeah, it's with. awful, <laughs> and it just, you feel worse about him. Like the more into the movie you go, Tom Cruise is great. We've never done a Tom Cruise retrospective, and I want to so so bad. But Tom Cruise is great in two ways: one, because he's being super Tom Cruise, or two, because the director is making fun of him and he doesn't know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. that's how he's awesome. <laughs> so the the last half of the balance we have the Sisters Brothers, Velvet Buzzsaw, Spider Man Far From Home. And it's not a movie, but special mention, The Sack Lunch Bunch. All right, so... Yes. I, I want to talk more about Ocha. We could... This is, like, against all everything that Movie of the Year stands for, but we could solve my Ocha problem by putting the Sack Bunch thing in, because Ocha felt like just practice for John Mulaney. Uh-huh. Because it's just... Yeah. His character's so goofy in it. So over-the-top, so crazy. And just, like, not... Uh, oh, no. Um, I'm, I'm doing it to 110%, and it's going to be fucking amazing. Guys, the reason he was late is because he tried on all of his own clothes. He had a model... <laughs> like, he had a model show with all of his own clothes. He just screams at children the entire time. That's how acting in, is. In Okja. No, that's Sacklet. That's all <laughs> <Sacklet. laughs> And Okja is uh, Bong Joon-ho, who now everybody knows is Parasite, but that guy makes good films. Yeah. Go... Watch Okja. But I would say that as much as I love Okja and as much as I love Bong Joon-ho, Jake Gyllenhaal sat out a little bit, like stood out mm-hmm. a little bit. Like he was a little differently colored than the rest of the movie. Whereas Sack Lunch Bunch, that like, no, that this is where you belong. This is your fucking. Yeah, it's like the perfect yeah. moment in the perfect yeah. uh, show. Yeah. I've and gone back like, and so... just watched his part. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, of course. Course. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Um, and it's, that's, I mean, specifically, I think what I was thinking about when I said like, you know, if you have too much cachet, that's not the kind of thing you can do. Like it's not, it wouldn't be comfortable for everyone. It would like, it would like ruin your uh, next movie, but he's allowed at this point to do just whatever he wants. And that energy that he brought to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is the one that goes on the on the mountain because I think this is his most recent like triumph. I think that if we rewatched Far From Home, we could see like... I was, I was, I was gonna be you, you know. Like I was, yeah. I was almost there. I was almost like the the teen beat kid, but now yeah. I'm older, and so now I I know how to manipulate you and do this shit. And I think that we are like Quentin Beck, Mysterio from Far From Home is playing a little bit with the Jake Gyllenhaal thing, but not as much as Sack Lunch Bunch. Like, <laughs> how is that deniable? Yeah, un. It is undeniable. So. Ryan, read off our Jake Gyllenhaal. Well, I have to cut something. You have to cut something. Oh, shit. What's on there October. It's October Sky, right? It's October Sky. Kick rocks, October Sky. We got the Mr. Music Man. (laughs) And we're, of course, going to have to do the whole bust for this one. It can't just be his head. It has to be because you have to get that, like, marching band. Yeah. (laughs) Is that his actual name, Mr. Music Man? 
It's something Mr. like that. Isn't it Mr. Yeah, Mr. Music, Mr. Music? Mr. Music. All right. Your Rushmore for Jake Gyllenhaal's entire career, and sorry, Jake, this will be it no matter what you do from here on out, uh, is Donnie Darko, that one guy from Brokeback Mountain, that one guy from Nightcrawler, and Mr. Music. And I think that that absolutely shows every corner of his range. Yeah, that encapsulates him. All right. We're going to take a quick break. I'm going to watch Source Code. And then when we come back, we're going to finish talking about Donnie Darko. (laughs) Well, that is very, very funny or very sad. And perhaps now you have something to think about or very problematic. And perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at your pop filter email contacts at your pop filter hey everybody keep watching them movies taste buds we've danced around a lot of this in different ways but i just got a flat out ask is this a jake gyllenhaal showcase or is there an argument for the ensemble uh, it's weird uh the movie makes me think about like hbo shows and it doesn't matter who comes on like whether it's deadwood or the wire you're gonna act good now you know, and then you, like you can go on and like act shitty in other movies or TV shows, but right. Right, for this show, you're gonna act good. Um, I don't know how they do it, and I don't think that this movie does it. I think that this movie comes as close as movies do, but it's so crazy, and there's so much stunt casting that it's it's part of the thing that keeps the vibe always moving the entire time. And you know the music video "Black Hole Sun." Won't you come? Uh, this the music video for Black Hole Sun features a like, very weird world that gets weirder and weirder, and this is like one of the 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 steps along the way is the Darny Darko universe, and because of that, I think that it keeps a lot of people from delivering like great performances because they're not quite people; they're like kind of extremes or they're one facet of somebody. And I think that people do within that role, people have different levels of how much they manage to even pull that off. For me, the standout terrible is is Drew Barrymore. This is this is probably the worst performance yeah, in the history of this show. Is she mocking English teachers? Like it really I, feels like she hates the character she's playing. It feels what like a she's supposed to, she is. Yeah, it, it seems like she's kind of supposed to be like satirizing a teacher from one of these movies, even in that space, even as a satirical act. It's still awful. It's still really, really profoundly bad. It reminded me of uh, the guy who gave the poetry assignment in 10 Things. And that guy was, in a lot of ways, a terrible teacher. Like, he would just uh-huh. scream at kids to get out of the classroom, but he was cool. You know, like all the kids liked him. This was all of the ways to be cool for kids to hate you and then all of the ways to be terrible so you're not a good teacher it it kept seeming she basically bragged was like well i read this to the kids she's supposed to be teaching instead of teaching them why they should read insert here i wonder mike if you host a drew barrymore retrospective if we just find this at this like this fucking nadir of her knowing how to be a kid actress and an adult actress and this is like I don't. I've never read a script. I don't know what the yeah. fuck I'm doing. This is insane. Even the way she holds her left hand as she reads the passage from the Graham Greene novel, mm-hmm. like just the way her hand is moving there is so artificial and so uncomfortable. It, it, and then but like, Noah Wiley is doing better than she is, but also seems to be in a completely different. But like, like space. Drew Barrymore is terrible because she has is she is ma- we're watching her make choices and they're wrong. 
Noah yeah. Wiley is terrible because he's making no choices. He's just fucking standing there and like uh, he doesn't know what movie he's in. And I'm not I'm on sure. ER, everybody. <laughs> I'm not sure anybody knows. I think that they told right. uh, what's Dwight's girlfriend's name? Remember that girl that Dwight brought to the the dinner party with the neon light? His babysitter. Oh yeah yeah. Uh, what is her name? I don't. Oh, yeah. the actress's name. I can't remember her name, but the, the, she, the mom of Sparkle Motion. The mom of Sparkle Motion. She's just going full bore. So she knows what yeah. to do, right? She's like, yeah. oh, I'm not, I don't have to be three-dimensional. I'm going to be 2D. But, Swayze doing the same thing, classic Swayze. But like all the people who are trying to do something in the middle, they don't know yeah. where the middle is. And so it's this crazy double dutch, like, oh, it hits my ankles every time. The, the one Noah Wiley moment I liked, and I do think there is literally one, uh, is when Seth Rogen and Mullet, uh, are openly talking about her dad stabbing her mom in class. Get and he out! Doesn't scream at them. Yeah. He doesn't say "get out." He just yeah. he points to the door and goes out. Well, like I was like that. <laughs> that is actually a good teaching moment. Don't start screaming. <laughs> I know a lot of teachers. Uh, back before I became a famous podcaster, uh, I thought about teaching, and that's something that all of them used all the time. It's just point to the door and say <laughs> out because uh, they're terrible. Is, and with the with the kids you have to do that with, it's so procedural at that point. They know exactly yeah. where to go and what's going on. Oh, oh, oh here we go. <laughs> All right, later. Is because we said stunt casting is is Swayze a stunt? Like, what counts as stunt cast? Those three are those the big three: Swayze, Noah, and Barrymore. We got to talk about T- Swayze because Mike, I almost texted you and said, "Should we Swayze? <laughs> Just Swayze." <laughs> What do you think, bro? Uh, should we be doing a Gyllenhaal retrospective? Does Swayze deserve a retrospective? So I looked up his IMDb, and he was like, the beginning of the 90s, just 10 years before this movie, uh, the single biggest star. Yeah. And then there was like a couple of stumbles, and then this was this was stunt... Ca- Look how crazy it is that Patrick Swayze is in this movie, mm-hmm. and he is there to like be handsome and like uh, comforting, even yeah, though we know that he's disgusting. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. He definitely is. I'm just not sure how much he knows that he is, or Richard Kelly is tricking him. Well, especially because he, like, he he's just like a shitty pastor vibes is the whole time. But motivational speaker. The only time we get that he's bad is like Donnie finds the porn room when he lights on the fire, and then in the worst of all the montages at the end when everybody's just like crying, and you realize maybe they all knew what was going on. He's sitting there crying, but it's a month before he gets arrested. It makes no sense. Like, I guess he's crying because he's a, like, is into child porn, but it's the only, like, crack in the veneer of him being the charisma version of himself. So he doesn't have enough to dig into. In the deja vu is real uh, montage, he thinks maybe I should not be a a child porn hound anymore. Yeah. I feel really bad about that. But I think that he does manage to... I don't think there's a lot he's supposed to do in this movie. And I think he does a good job of giving you the the sways and then enough of it so that you know it's creepy. I mean, you mm-hmm. you you are you know that some, there's going to be something creepy behind the veneer of this guy. Love. And I mean, like... Uh, or fear, fear. Mike. It goes, <laughs> honestly, I thought it was fear. I I do think like especially with the whole Dukakis Bush thing like I like it's hard not to think about this movie in the terms of Biden Trump and we're supposed to think even though Kelly didn't know this at the time that uh, uh, Swayze you know is Trumpian he's cult like he can make you believe these things even though he is awful uh, and two dimensional right. and and that Donnie is going to be the one who says who like you know brings the truth and says like. 
that that's all here. It's all like sort of predictable where we are. And I do think Swayze does a good job of being handsome, being charming, you know, always like turning towards the camera at the exact right moment. Yes. But but still always being like, I do not trust you and you're creepy as fuck, bro. Yeah, his video was like perfect 88 video. Uh-huh. That was like oh, those yeah. production values. I don't think ne- unless you grew up watching videos at that time, you would never know how spot on that is. But that's exactly like how all that stuff was produced back in the day. I don't want a podcast like this anymore, guys. Uh, we're on Zoom right now. And all I would like is for us to turn our chairs away from each other. And then when we have a good point, turn yeah. the chair towards each other and scream the Love. point. I'm not going to be afraid anymore. <laughs> Which, and I got to say that, like, that seems like something that's been parodied a billion times. Like, those, like, cheapy, uh, feel-good videos. And Donnie Darko does take it up a level. Like, it did a really good job of making those seem even dumber than they actually are. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Beth Grant. That that is the sparkle Beth motion. Grant, yeah, I want to give her because she is great in everything she's in. And all I the question of your Maggie. commitment to sparkle motion, but just born with a face <laughs> of uh, just like uh, an all time Leslie Nope enemy. Like she can mm-hmm. only be that person. She's you know? the the proto Karen, right? Yeah, like yes. I mean, she's like the the Karen that all other Karens bow down to. When five Karen notice your party's slightly loud. When five Karens come together and, and like become a Voltron, <laughs> it's Beth. Davis. That's who they become. Yeah. Complaining. (laughs) Calling the cops. Speed round. You know what that means? Because it said it. It's speed round. Outside of easy costumes, why set the movie in a Catholic school? I think this movie thinks like like, gods are dumb but interesting. You know, like, is Donnie Darko different than Ryan? They wear uniforms, but is it a Catholic school? Oh, yeah, because there's a big cross. I mean, it's a, definitely a Christian school. Well, it has, yeah. the, it has the typical Catholic thing of a giant bulldog landing Iron Man style right in front of the, <laughs> the school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that's definitely in the book of Leviathan. <laughs> it felt like alluded to, but without ever explicitly said exactly what the, the religious orientation of the school was. Because whatever it is, it has been totally supplanted by love theoryism. Yeah. But speaking of love theoryism... What subject is Beth Grant supposed to be teaching these kids instead of love theoryism? <laughs> oh, shame. I've never been to like a, a religious school, but shame. She teaches shame 101, and she just wants... I, thought it, I honestly thought it was P.E. I think, I think it actually is. P. Somebody that says in, you're a gym teacher at some point. I went, instead what? of the parachute, she busts out those instructional videos. Look, no. I learned more from that parachute than any other class ever. She really <laughs> did those kids Mushroom. Remember the mushroom, guys? That was a great one. What's a more on the nose band for this soundtrack than Echo and the Bunnymen? <laughs> da- Peter and the Rabbits. Uh, da- Blink 180 Darko. I, d- I did not Greg. come prepared for this. I'll give that one to Greg. Does this movie manage to feel like as much of a tribute to 88 as it seems to think it is? I, musically i fe- i feel like it definitely is but i think because we've we now have like had the hyper saturated uh like stranger things style shows where the references are just like pouring down on you all the time hey it feels like i use my walkie talkie to talk to you about alf while we were watching golden girls in the food court yeah <laughs> it's just festooned and so nowadays for something just to be set in the 80s it's like oh okay but i i genuinely <laughs> think that the first 10 minutes were a little grainy and a little weird a little oddly shot like when donnie was in the mountain and uh-huh. i think that was sort of vhs like the movies that you could rent if you were uh born in 1980 and then i think it just does away with it because 
it's too nervous about looking old and it wants to look good. And I want to show off all of my fancy cameras. I think there's a brief second where it's like, what if, you know, like Mank is coming out soon, you know, and he, the, uh, Fincher tried to shoot it like a, a, a 1940s movie. I think there's a brief second and then they're like, nah, dude, no one wants to see that. And, and this guy, seriously, like he just, he absolutely lost his will to do so many really yeah, cool things totally. that he kind of started doing. He's too I mean, young. The entire, yeah, so was so was P.T. Anderson when he made um yeah well what, he's Magnolia? a fucking he's unstoppable force. Uh, it was also that he he wanted like they wanted him to do it modern. Whoever the they is the studios and he wanted eighties, but he because he didn't think the technology. And this is 01, so it's not great technology that he could show like the kind of isolation that he wanted to that it would have to be in eighties. Little did he know that we're even more isolated now <laughs> yeah. with all this technology. <laughs> Just have Zoom calls the entire time. Does Donnie Darko put the nail in the Smurfs fucking conversation, or should we spend ten minutes on it right now? On the podcast? Yeah, I think it's it's pretty. I, I oh, let's do ten, ten more minutes. Are... Let's do ten more minutes right now. Greg, that one goes to Greg. Uh, I don't know if I've heard just everybody always parrot Donnie Darko my entire life, but he's clearly right. Right? There's no debate here. Why? Do, why is it even worth talking about? About whether they have genitals? Smurfette wasn't there to fuck them. She was made by Gargamel. That's the most I related to him. His his vitriol for how wrong they got that. This not to, I, not to I don't like, want to get into the whole thing, but I do think they do hand stuff. <laughs> not to go back to Kevin Smith again or the fact that we have this podcast talking about uh these movies seriously, but uh that like that scene, Donnie Darko getting so upset that they're talking about pop culture in the wrong way is the reason why podcasts, pop culture, and white males <laughs> should be just eviscerated from the planet. Just shut the yeah. fuck up. Right. Uh, I love that you brought up Kevin Smith because uh, does the pop culture work as a window into this world and these characters, or does it just feel like Richard Kelly watched a bunch of Kevin Smith movies? I like it feels like he has like little, he's got like four little speeches written up, and he's gonna find a way to put them in this movie. Yeah, Kevin Smith is not the, <laughs> is not necessarily the Orson Welles that you want to fucking go after. I like I liked watching the other stuff, you know, like oh he's seen the abyss, that's why the uh, the water things from the chest look like that. Like mm-hmm. sort of the outside inside movie stuff. I think that was totally there. Um, his love of Sam Raimi, his uh, like and doing Sam Raimi stuff, and they go to the theater and then having Last Temptation of Christ on the marquee with yeah. the Evil Dead just to like send everything home. I like the outside inside movie stuff, but the inside movie stuff, uh, it's not cool anymore. Uh, Quentin started it and Kevin killed it. We don't need people talking about our actual life pop culture. Shut the fucking fuck up. Can you have like, do you have two hours at the most? It should only be an hour and a half. Like, you don't have time to just stand around and talk about pop culture. Be pop culture. Oh, oh, that made me have a visceral reaction. I like that. Uh, again, continuing speaking of Kevin Smith, he said that Richard Kelly, uh, would be Christopher Nolan if any big studio just started giving him money and people should. Thoughts? I I mean, I don't think we've done a Nolan movie, right? No. No. Okay, so every time I get a chance to talk about how I don't think that Nolan is a... He's an okay filmmaker and a bad storyteller, I will throw that in there. And then when we get a chance to actually do one, I'm going to hit it hard, guys. Uh, I think Richard Kelly's a, a, a big step beyond that. Or like... Uh, Worse than that. I think that, yeah, I think that he has cool ideas. And I think that sometimes with people like Richard Kelly and Christopher Nolan, they take the whole theory of every movie needs five good scenes and then nothing else. I think they take that (laughs) way too fucking far. (laughs) Very literally. These are not good storytellers. 
And it, it it's nice to have good ideas, but you, I don't think he knows the difference between his good ideas and his bad ideas. And so that doesn't give him like the confidence or, or the expertise to really... I wouldn't want to give this guy a bunch of money. I don't think you're going to get Money, your money's worth out of it because yeah when i when like watching this uh watching the real or the uh theatrical and then the director's cut and when i realized that like the tangential universe is just talking about like how movies work about how do you care about people that are not in your world and are you okay with like a deus ex machina in a movie uh it didn't strike me as super thoughtful about how screenplays and stories work it sort of it more struck me as somebody who's very scared to just like go out yeah. on a limb and like do their own thing Go your own way. The main character's first name is Donald. That's weird now, right? <laughs> I don't know if that first name should ever be used again, right? Ever again. Harold Duck. Harold, Mickey Mouse and Harold Duck is probably what we should be dealing with. I love Harold Duck. Do Jake and Maggie Gyllenhaal have crazy chemistry or what? For me, yeah, in my brain, I wanted them to <laughs> hold hands. <laughs> I'm, I'm a weirdo. <laughs> She, I, we didn't talk about her in the, in the acting section, but I think she does a great job. Like she elevates, she doesn't feel as paradical as some other people do. And I would yeah. watch a movie about her and her character. She has a little bit more depth, and you get the feeling that like she's up to things, and you don't exactly know what she's doing. Like that when Donnie either does or doesn't die when the engine hits the house, she's like sneaking in, yeah. and you have no idea what she's necessarily up to. But she's obviously got her own thing going on. And I think we talk about a lot how we want actors to be doing two things at the same time, and that's good acting. If we can see both things, they should be moving and talking. Yeah. They should be moving and talking. They should be <laughs> yo-yoing and eating a hot dog at the same time. But I think the other thing too is. Uh, the thing that'll trick us quicker into thinking that they're good is for us to say, I think she's reading the dialogue from the script, but it definitely feels like she is making it up on the spot. And mm, that is definitely yeah. what Maggie Gyllenhaal has in this movie. In general, that's like her greatest strength. Yeah. Man, I like her. At, uh, when the deus ex machina hits, Jake Gyllenhaal says, it's... deus ex machina. Yeah, he sure does. That's bullshit, right? I mean, now that Ryan has explained what goes on the, in the director's cut, it actually makes way more sense. It's almost like he wants you to know that that's what his intention is. But then when you just had the theatrical release, that doesn't make like you understand when you're watching this movie, the theatrical release, you understand that Donnie is figuring things out, mm-hmm. but you don't have as much information as he has. So you have no idea why he's doing what he's doing or why he's saying what it, he's saying. Yeah, it feels like that. What we're watching is somebody who is 26 and this is the right age where you're supposed to do do this. Crack the code of screenwriting. You know, I figured out <laughs> but how don't screenplays show your work. notes. That, but no, I think that's what he thought was smart. You know, I think that he yeah. thought that he was making. Uh, I'm going to be meta. Our generation so scream. You know, like this would be yeah. thought of as scream, and it was thought of as highly a scream, but just for wrong reasons. I think that, I think that people are dumb. Like scream is gra- scream is rad, and this is stupid. Uh, throughout the movie, we see Frank the the bunny, and we don't know if he is. Uh, demon from another universe, a manifestation of Donnie's mental illness, and it turns out he's just a uh, low-key Keanu Reeves look-alike. Is that bullshit? Blue Diamond Phillips type. Uh, well, that's like that's where you you have to understand what's going on in the movie, but not but you have to understand it from outside the movie to explain what is going on with Frank and and who he is as the movie exists in its own form it's like wait why is it this guy now he's like who, who, how is he related to all of so, this again i'm not sure what you guys understand and don't but 
uh, he was killed mm-hmm. in the tangential universe. Therefore, a lot like uh, Among Me, or what is it, Among Us? Among Us. He can now move between all universes. Ooh, love a good Among Us ref. <laughs> <laughs> when, he, right. when he was killed. So uh, he was shot in the eye, which is why his eye is always irritating him, because apparently there's no... By, by Donnie, by is that Donnie, part yeah. of it? Okay. But Donnie had to kill him in order to get back to the actual universe, which is why uh, Frank showed up to get killed. Kill Jenna Malone. E- even with that being the answer, like it that he's just one of the pawns that they're all kind of in, feels like it weakens everything he was pushing. But you know what Richard Kelly did do, and he was right. He was like, I bet if... I don't... Uh, who cares what it means? I bet if I show a six-foot-tall... Uh, man with a freaky bunny mask it will become iconic it will be a brand and it definitely fucking worked people just like that's a movie that i like for two reasons one i don't understand that and i think that makes me uh interesting and two look at that tall ass demon bunny mask it is iconic uh with that we've talked a lot about pop culture and we're talking about frank now is it weird to have a six foot bunny and not reference the movie harvey at all but it is i mean like it isn't it in of itself it is yeah like, I guess is it surprising that, that he didn't Richard Kelly this up a little more and scream that hard? <laughs> the the fact that he showed that restraint is actually surprising. I think maybe he forgot what the reference, <laughs> what the, to like what the uh, movie he was referencing was called because I think he forgets who said that teller door quote. Um, but this was the so, time. This was at the end of the time in two thousand one. But it was definitely the time where, as referencing as many movies as possible, was the cool thing to do. Yeah, and yeah. so uh, if this was a different time richard kelly would have made that a walrus or a uh, octopus or a different fat sea animal but he made it a bunny and that was very much on purpose and i do think it works kind of on one level because it does it, it it's it's not just a reference it does evoke in us like it is a signifier right it does evoke in us this thought of like okay if it's a bunny maybe it is his imagination Grand. because we have that sort of like subtextual understanding from. So I think it's more than just, I, I think it actually works as a reference. I think it's a little bit more than a reference. And we do. And the movie says that we do because we have bugs and we have Peter and we have Easter and we have watership down and we have like, it's a, it's, it's definitely a go-to animal. So also that head appears a lot of places. Like it's, it's like you see that bunny's face. Like there's a scene where right. he and, and, uh, and his sister are talking and there's like a jack-o'-lantern that is just like the bunny's head. Right. Yeah, like he you see he it does it with a knife. Of a lot of stuff. I would not give that kid with that medication a knife like that, but No. <laughs> Go ahead, y'all. How exactly does one suck a It fuck? is the end of speed round. We're going to take a quick break and when we come back, award time. Taste buds, I- I'm sure it will shock you to find out that Donnie Darko was nominated for no Oscars. Whoa. Not even and best director? Not even. Best director, Richard Kelly. Uh, so it won no Oscars, but tonight we're going to change that. I'm sure it won a bunch of indie awards or whatever, but those don't matter. The only ma- awards that matter are the Oscars and the Moody's. <laughs> one and two. And nobody's sure which is one or which is two. I think it changes. Tonight we're going to be giving out five, starting out with Ryan. Give us the best Donalogue. All right, so we've talked a lot about how Dottie is just the smartest fucking teenager that's ever existed, and Holden Caulfield hold his beer because Donnie's going to fucking talk a lot. My favorite, the one that I thought worked the best, that I rolled my eyes at the least and thought fit the tone of the movie the most was 
Uh, hey, Donnie, why don't you come up here and put a chalk mark between love and fear? <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, ultimately, I do think this is a movie that like uh, tries to challenge binaries, right? Like tries mm-hmm. to say like there is no A or B. There's only in between. Um, and so this is the time for him to do it. And also, I think a lot of it, too, is just fucking calling out Beth Davis. Just fucking anytime you can scream at her, that's going to work for me. It's what you represent. For me, it's got to be the one that we've talked about so much, the Smurf one, because I, I don't think it's just like, I guess I didn't take best to mean the one I like the most so much as the one that is most emblematic. But like, mm-hmm. this is the one that every I think that most people think of. Um, it's way more than I knew about the Smurfs previously. <laughs> and even though I don't love it, I feel like it sort of captures the soul of the movie. The other thing too, though, like Kevin Smith is better at building up some sort of pop culture ramp to show yeah. that our characters care about pop culture as opposed to just dropping this fucking bomb. That's a good uh, Yeah, point. I think that's yeah. why his friends were so shocked is because he never talked about anything in the real world at all. <laughs> and then he just knew the whole history of Gargamel and Smurfette. Uh, while, while I agree uh, that the Smurfs one is probably the most iconic, I do think that the one that like endears you to the character and lets you use his power for good right. is the but, love I mean, like, versus fear. We mentioned two of eight. Like, yeah. Yeah, there it. There's a, There's a lot, and I would say as much as I love Jake Gyllenhaal, though they are not all delivered with the same level of skill. You can watch him learn to act throughout this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Next up is uh, because I think one of the things that works surprisingly well for this movie is comedy. So funniest moment. I I mean I think that we were texting while watching like throughout this week because we all saw this when we were children and then mm-hmm. watched it. This is the thing that like blew us away, right? Like this is a fucking funny movie. Yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, for me, it is uh, God. There's so many, like, and they come fast and hard. But for me, it's uh, feces. So do I. Uh, very nice. Uh, like, and then the bathroom is covered what? in feces. <laughs> what is the that? one little girl says to the other, and then the other little girl says, "What's that?" And the first little girl says, "Baby mice." I think in the best child acting <laughs> I've seen in my entire <laughs> life. Yes, and it, yeah, it the movie does not sit on that. It no. just keeps motoring. Yeah, like, it's a conversation you overhear. Uh, that is a good one. Ryan, what do you got? <laughs> um, in the director's cut, uh, I don't know if you guys saw the scene where they were in a hotel room because a plane engine fell through the building. I guess not. No, I don't think that's in the movie. Or the so room. they're in a hotel room and the uh, the tiniest sister, the little girl, is like, I'm going to go tell. And Donnie Darko, straight face, says, if you tell, I will fart in your hair while you're sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that everything having to do with the pa- Patrick Swayze videos like we talked about is hilarious. But I have to pick. Uh, we get a little, a little fucking scrumptious little sneak peek at Donnie's mom and dad at date night. And they are white, Dukakis-hating, Bush-loving <laughs> Americans. And they are eating a salad, and next to their bowl is a second salad. Like that is that is basically their entire lives is just eating one salad, getting ready for the next one. And that I think that's when it does like the thing that American Beauty tried to do, but just wasn't clever mm-hmm. enough to do. Yeah, I think we could do a whole segment on the mom. There's there's interesting stuff with her throughout, and she's making little choices. Uh, I Ryan said like three things, so I can't track what it's the salad to dinner. Uh, Greg's that uh, I think my actual funniest and I don't know if the movie thinks it's funny but it's once we're I guess back in the real world and Jenna Malone is finding out like what happened and the neighbor's kid says 
he got smushed by jet engine. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, smushed yeah, by a jet engine is so fucking funny. And then like, little kid knows it's weird to wave at the mom, but then does it because Jenna Malone does. And all of that made me fucking piss. Oh, and the actual winner, by the way, is uh, his therapist is played by Catherine Ross, like 1970s superstar, uh, hottie from The Graduate and Butch Cassidy superstar Catherine Ross. That's his therapist. And he's like, uh, I'm mad because they made me lose at Hungry Hungry Hippos. <laughs> And yeah. her, her question of like, how did these hippos that are hungry make you feel? <laughs> yeah, did you? Is... How did you get these hungry hippos? Uh, I don't like how often she led him into like hypnotizing jerk off or hypnotize hug yeah. me, and he always looked disturbed afterwards. She should have stopped hypnotizing. Uh, what is the cringiest moment, Greg? For me, I, the cringiest moment was the uh, the kitty porn dungeon. Uh, just because the the way everyone in the movie treats it as like a scandal and it feels like instead of um like an awful crime mm-hmm. it's like a really disgusting awful terrible thing and it, they seem to treat it like it's like just a source of great but i, I gotta say though that that did uh that did ring true to modern times because everybody was like he was accused of having kitty porn and we must protect him no matter what you know like uh they came to his you know, like uh, fight his defense because he was accused of having kitty porn, which is right. Trumpian. Yeah, Beth Grant is like they. They, I'm sure you heard the allegations, but somebody put it in there, like somebody, <laughs> a whole dungeon, <laughs> a whole dungeon, and then lit it on fire. Ryan, what is what is yours? I gotta say, it's the uh, it's the treatment of Trita because yeah. we had we had bullies in this movie. We had Captain Phantom Planet, which is a cool ass fucking <laughs> superhero name, and. <laughs> Captain Seth Rogen, which is a less cool superhero name, <laughs> and they were supposed to be the bullies, but Donnie Darko's friend's treatment of this girl, uh, that's so bad. That's not typical late 80s bullying. That was that was fucking rough stuff. And to have Donnie Darko just like not Hey guys, stop. Yeah. <laughs> not when I'm here. <laughs> Come on. I have a reputation. Yeah. And then and- for her to like then develop a crush on him. Like her- doubled up on everything. And this is like, I don't know if this is the movie's fault, but it is. And when this came out, the quote that everybody said wasn't the Gargamel line. It wasn't uh, how how did those hippos who are hungry make you feel? Yeah, everybody's said shut up all the time. Like she shut is up. also the butt of the joke in the movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's cringeworthy and that has to go to Ryan. Next up is the pound for pound performance. Greg? I'm just going to go with Jakey Jills. Uh, I have a hard time seeing it as anyone else. I was thinking maybe his mom for a little bit because I think she's doing some interesting things. But really, do you think that other people have nominees here, Greg? uh, You said three things, Ryan. Sometimes I'm going to say three things. God damn it. Yeah, Ryan. Jakey Jakey Jills is my answer. I liked liked hearing your thought process there, Greg. But sometimes there's whiny babies on the show. Ryan? It's Mary McDonald. Um, in the first scene that we see with her, it it's it seems a little easy. Like the I think we talked about this already. Uh, like the satire is like, oh, look at this, uh, like uh, misplaced, pill rattled, uh, drunk mom, and she's just gonna act like this. Like it's somewhere in between, like the comatose mom, uh, Allison Janney from American Beauty, and then Amy Poehler from Mean Girls. Like she's <laughs> somewhere in the middle of there. Uh, but as the movie goes on, uh, just her we sort of realize that she's sort of learned how to deal with this world in a way that's just feels better than any other performance. Definitely all the cast, the stunt casting, uh, you know, like she thinks it's all dumb 
much like your son does, but is also ready to move on with life and know that like I can't just be hung up on the dumbness. I also have to move forward. I thought she was back to like and her wave at mm-hmm. uh her wave at Jenna Malone at the end of like ev- everybody in uh Donnie Darko's family is crying, right? Like they're all beside themselves because he just got crushed by an engine and she's just leaning against a tree smoking like knowing smoking that the world is awful just yeah and like she just sort of knows the movie that she's in and then waves at jenna malone in this way of like this is this is life baby yeah that there's like a little bit of relief in her there there's a little like smiling because isn't it all a sham and there's no choice anyway like yeah she does so much throughout the movie but specifically at the end i right. agree it has to go to Mama McDonald. Finally, directors, mm, director is what they're <laughs> called. <laughs> director's signature moment, Ryan. I, I did see Southland Tales, and I was not a fan. Um, what about the box? Except for one particular scene where uh, JT Lake looks, puts his eyes in the camera and sings the killers. I did not see, see the box, but... I got it, and we've talked about it on the show. I think that we've already proven this true. Uh, like when the guy can get away from dialogue and exposition, and he just lets the song move his camera. I think that that is when he is. I don't think that means that he can't make a good movie. I just think that he has to think about what he is doing there and sort of push that across a two-hour narrative. Greg, uh, for me, it's the notorious like little music video. Um, he through music and film and the magic of cinema he makes these five little girls sparkle motion just seem like the coolest five people that have ever existed uh and that moment is like the movie is in decline at that moment but that is like uh one of the best moments in the entire movie we talked about all the movies that we think richard kelly watched before making this there's no way that the makers of Little Miss Sunshine didn't watch yeah. <laughs> Dottie Darko and steal like, yeah, that impactful moment. We're going to make a movie just about this. <laughs> uh, for its specificity, we're going to go there. Boo, yeah, grandma. <laughs> I should have made that a drop. <laughs> that is your awards. Uh, how, how do we think this is going to go forward in the bracket? You know, congr- even making it into the season is i think an accomplishment and i'm sort of wondering how that like it's kind of surprising that it happened in retrospect so (laughs) good for you donnie darko i'm gonna guess that uh our patreon listeners know that we have now screened about four or five movies that should have made the bracket are easily better than this (laughs) (laughs) that would probably kick this one out (laughs) Uh, I'm glad that we did it you know like uh, for a long time i was like why do people like this and now i get to officially say why do people like this? You know? like, <laughs> yeah, but with the official stamp. Right, yeah. Um, uh, I think that there's so much interesting. And again, like we talked about, it's so much funnier. Like, the guy has a ton of ideas. I think that maybe sometimes you need the producers yeah. and the studio execs to come in and be like, oh, we got to make a movie here, though, bro. Yeah. It is funny reading about S. Darko, the sequel he had nothing to do with, and his hate of it. Uh, and he says he's never seen it. He's never seen it. Really- there's no way. He watched it and if you made a movie and then other people made a sequel to it could you really not watch that sequel but uh it's weird how much he hates it because it sounds like just the same ideas so (laughs) whatever (laughs) Uh, those were stupid the it's always very uh fun to and sad to reveal who won uh but this one's (laughs) particularly important because 
you, oh yeah one of you will be my best friend for the ad infinitum oh my gosh <laughs> wow it's um, a biggie and i don't i don't know if this has ever happened in the history of movie of the year you both got 24 points so hey what? best friends we're three best friends i don't have like a runoff trivia we tied on incredibly low scores right <laughs> yeah you both did shitty but you both did shitty the same amount <laughs> I think I we will, just take it. I think we just take it as a tie because that's a, that's the fewest points I could imagine a tie being. <laughs> I will let, and I think the audience can totally agree with me. I will let Greg be the Jake Gyllenhaal of this episode, and I will be the Jenna Malone. I, I'm a big fan of both of those in different ways, so I love it. I'm for it. Uh, do we want to reveal what's happening next week? Because it's a special surprise for the listeners. Then no, we should, so they can fucking pay money and listen to it. It's not. It's not for paying. Oh, Dude, I mean, please go to yeah, like you heard the commercial. Go to Patreon.com slash slash. Oh, you mean the other thing? And listen to our episode about. Wait, did we decide it? I'd already forgotten. What are we doing for our Patreon episode? We'll do two things. AI, but AI, I, right? That's why I, I have. I don't give a shit. I have a special reveal. The three of us, because we're the best at talking about movies, and we're the best on a podcast. The three of us are going to do Spy Kids next week. It can only be done by the three of us. <laughs> I no Ryan, that's not the reveal. The three of us will not be talking about Spy Kids. What do you mean, Mike? What do you mean? There's going to be uh, some sort of alternate side tangential dimension coming out. And have you ever wondered what if the Unnatural Twenties hosted Movie of the Year? You're going to get it as they come in and do Spy Kids. Spy Kids. Till then, what, what if it gets the most like the uh, most amount of downloads we've ever had? I will only be pre- I will be like I haven't even seen that sequel to movie of the year. I don't even know. Then I'll it. say, you know what? That was a great cross promotional opportunity, blah blah blah. We did a good <laughs> thing there. All right. <laughs> Till then, keep watching those movies.